I don't know about you, but, but I've always been somewhat fascinated with conspiracy theories and people that believe them. Uh, undoubtedly, you've heard some of the most popular ones. For example, the US moon landing, right? According to a Gallup poll back in 1999, 6%, 6% of the United States population claimed to believe that the first moon landing never happened. Now, you would think 20 years later, technology advancements and all, that that number would decrease, except it hasn't. It's actually gone up. Depending on the source that you read, between 7 and 20% of the United States population thinks that the moon landing in 1969 is nothing more than a hoax created by NASA and our government to rally a nation in a time of need. Of course, there's also the Roswell, New Mexico UFO conspiracy, right? This one claims that, that the US military high altitude weather balloon that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico back in 1947 was actually an alien spacecraft. And when it crashed, the theory goes, extraterrestrials were recovered by our military and promptly covered up and hidden from the public. Other widely believed conspiracy theories. The FDA is withholding a cure for cancer. The Illuminati hold their meetings below the Denver International Airport. Flat Earthers, you guys know Flat Earthers, right? So growing worldwide is this idea that the Earth isn't round, it's flat. It's a disc, right? And the irony is that Flat Earthers would say that the real conspiracy is that the Earth is round. Anyone who thinks, according to flat earthers, that the, that, that the earth is round has been lied to, and actually you're complicit in suppressing the real truth. You see, you're in denial if you think the earth is round, apparently. Side note, great documentary on Netflix called Beyond the Curve. Check it out. Probably my favorite conspiracy theory, though, I, I've just recently heard about this one. This is awesome. Um, According to a, a public policy polling survey, whatever that is, around 12 million people in the United States, 12 million people in the United States believe that interstellar lizards in people suits rule our country. I'm not kidding, 12 million people. These reptilians are so-called lizard people, get this, they evidently use holographic technology to disguise themselves as everyday humans and often rise to high levels of power to manipulate us masses. Which I guess makes sense because as I read about these lizard people, these well-known reptilians include Justin Bieber, Queen Elizabeth, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and Mark Zuckerberg. Clearly lizard people, right? Why am I telling you these things? Conspiracy theories are fun, but that's not what we're here to talk about. You see, I'm telling you these things because in just a few days, millions of Christians all over the world are going to gather, and we're going to celebrate something that has unquestionably changed the trajectory of the world, something that has unquestionably changed the trajectory of human history as we know it, and that something is an empty tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. I'm excited to say that, that tonight we're starting a new sermon series, and over the next four weeks, for the rest of the semester, we're going to ask four questions, four questions that we think every college student, Christian or not, needs to answer, because each of these questions has such significance for our lives. 
And since Easter is just a few days away, we thought that it would be fitting to start with this question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? You see, for 2,000 years, Christians have been saying, Christians have been claiming that Jesus' tomb was empty because Jesus had in fact risen just as he said he would. But is that claim actually true? Is Jesus' resurrection an event that happened in history? Is there any credible evidence to substantiate that claim? Or is the resurrection nothing more than an elaborate hoax? Just another conspiracy theory to add to a growing list. See, what's interesting is, is that at least one thing is clear. People, historians, scholars on both sides of the debate agree. Jesus wasn't where he was supposed to be when people went to that tomb. The tomb was empty. But why was it empty? Why wasn't Jesus there? Well, there are all sorts of reasons why people have suggested that Jesus wasn't in that tomb. A somewhat laughable claim that some have made over the years is that Jesus' tomb was empty because he never died. Instead, Jesus somehow evaded death on a cross and he fled to India where he lived out his days. Not kidding. Back in 2010, a growing number of people claimed that this rundown shrine in Kashmir is the actual site of Jesus' tomb, not somewhere in Jerusalem. To my knowledge, though, nobody has ever gone in here to actually check to see if Jesus is in there. I guess it's better for tourism to keep us in suspense. See, along the same lines, beginning around, uh, around the beginning of the 19th century, rather, some scholars began suggesting that, that Jesus also didn't die on the cross. But instead of fleeing to India, he simply fainted from exhaustion, just got tired. Some say that he, the liquid that was given to him on a sponge that we read about in the Gospels is actually a drug that appeared to make Jesus dead. But when his body was eventually placed in the tomb, the cool, damp air within the tomb actually revived him. And so the tomb was empty, not because Jesus had been resurrected, but because he had been resuscitated. These scholars say that, that Jesus never died. He kept on living. He was just resuscitated. Others claim that the tomb was empty because Jesus was never actually buried in it. Historians tell us that, that crucified criminals were often left on the cross or thrown into a common grave upon their death. I remember when I was here at Mizzou taking a, a class um, it was an intro to the New Testament class. And one of the assigned books was written by a New Testament scholar named John Dominic Croissant. And in this book that we are reading for this class, here at Mizzou, Croissant argued that Jesus had never actually been resurrected. Instead, after he was crucified, his body was thrown into a shallow grave, only to eventually be found by wild dogs who dug him up and ate his body. No body, empty tomb. Pretty simple. 
Of course, others have said over the years that the tomb was empty because Jesus' body was stolen by the disciples or that they took a wrong left turn and they went to the wrong tomb when they went to check on him. If they had just gone to the right place, if they had just followed the right, the right directions, then this whole mystery would have been solved. They would have found him where he was laying. Whoops. Most popular today, though, is the idea that Jesus' resurrection is just a legend that has grown over time. Proponents, scholars promoting this view suggest that the resurrection story is just that. It's a story. It's a story meant to communicate something spiritual, not something historical. It's just a spiritual story. A few years ago, two actually, an op-ed written right here in town in the Columbia Daily Tribune, it, it, it insisted that to believe Jesus actually rose from the dead is to actually denigrate the value of Jesus' teaching. Instead, the article went on to say that you and I should, quote, let Jesus be an extraordinary mortal who created a historic following by preaching how to live and act without our having to believe in impossible events that strain credulity. See what he's saying? He's saying Jesus was an extraordinary social activist who wandered the side, the countryside of Israel, teaching and preaching and doing acts of kindness, but he wasn't God and he certainly didn't rise from the dead because that's impossible. That's impossible. And so it must be that after this man Jesus died, his, his followers, well, they tried to keep his memory alive by telling his story. And like every story that is told over and over and over, it became at the least embellished, if not an outright lie. And so stop believing the resurrection actually happened because it didn't, they say. Now all of those things said, those are, those are real things that people say to explain the empty tomb. All of those things said, what's the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb that day. You see, contrary to those that suggest that Jesus never died on the cross, we know that he couldn't have possibly survived. Roman soldiers were professionals when it came to killing people. Matthew 27, verse 26, it tells us that, that before Jesus was crucified, he was scourged. Uh, it was a horrifically cruel form of flogging. The whips used in these Roman floggings, they were, maybe you've heard this, they were composed of braided leather, interwoven with pieces of, of metal and bone. Why? For the purpose of ripping through and tearing apart human flesh. Historians that, that have studied these things tell us that, that recipients of these floggings, they often received 39, sometimes more, lashes. And by the time this flogging was finished, the back of a person's body was so shredded that bones and organs were completely laid bare. It's graphic, isn't it? I heard a New Testament scholar actually on campus in this room last week. He, he said that while he was, I think it was while he was writing his dissertation, maybe a book, he said he spent six months studying these things, 
Six months studying these, these kinds of floggings and the material that he was studying, the material that he was reading was so graphic, it was so horrific that often he would have to put the book down and walk away from it for days. See, these kinds of floggings, they were terrible. And in many cases, the floggings themselves were fatal. But historians agree with the biblical testimony. Jesus survived his scourging and went on to be crucified. Mark 15, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now we know from history that crucifixions went like this. When Jesus was crucified, he was, he was laid down. And his arms were stretched out wide. And once his arms were laid stretched wide, five to seven inch nails were driven through his wrist to hold him to a horizontal bar. And after that happened, he would have been hoisted as the horizontal bar of the cross was attached to a vertical stake. And once the horizontal bar was attached to a vertical stake, the same nails that would have went through his wrists were driven through his feet to hold him still, to hold him on that piece of wood. Once hanging in the vertical position, Jesus' crucifixion was essentially an agonizingly slow death by asphyxiation. I'll spare the rest of the details. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because Jesus didn't just escape from the cross. He didn't faint from exhaustion. He didn't just come down and go to India. He didn't walk away a bloody mess. He didn't just appear dead and walk away later. No, he was tortured, and then he died. And when he died, the Bible tells us that he was taken from the cross and he was placed in a tomb, not a shallow grave for dogs to dig up, a tomb with a stone over the entrance. And on the third day after Jesus had died, witnesses found his tomb empty. Why? Why was that tomb empty? What's the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb? Is it a resurrection? Or is it a lie? Is it a resurrection or is it a lie? Let's ask a few questions that I think might help. First, if Jesus' resurrection was a lie, if it was all made up, then why would the Bible be so specific about key details related to it? Mark 15. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. See, if the disciples were lying about the resurrection, why would, 
why would they name specific places and specific people involved? If they were lying, why would they name specific places? Why would they name specific people involved? Because doing so would absolutely expose their lie. You see, this man, Joseph, was from a town named Arimathea. It was a real place, and he was a real person. But not just any person. We're told that he was a prominent member of the council, that is, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, in this instance, refers to a type of Jewish supreme court that was centered in Jerusalem, the same Jewish court that condemned Jesus. If Joseph had nothing to do with burying Jesus' body, then he could have easily refuted the disciples' story as false. He could have easily said, no, that didn't happen. You see, by naming him specifically, people would have been able to go to him and ask him themselves, did you take Jesus' body from the cross? Did you take Jesus' body and place it in a tomb? So that he could answer This isn't the only mention, though, of specific people. It's not the only specific place related to the resurrection in the Bible. You see, 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion, the Apostle Paul, he writes a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. Corinth was an educated, skeptical city that had many people who doubted that the the bodily resurrection of Jesus actually happened. This is what he says to them. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve disciples, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, we need to concede something. It's true that nobody actually witnessed Jesus walk out of that tomb. Nobody saw it that we know of. But according to Paul in these verses, Jesus appeared to many people, many people after he rose from the dead. Sometimes Jesus appeared to individuals, sometimes he appeared to groups of people. And according to these verses, Paul either knew some of them or he was told by someone that did that most of them were still alive. Now think about that for a second. Why would Paul say that? Why would Paul add that detail? Most of these people are still alive unless he was absolutely convinced that they could confirm that they really had seen the risen Jesus. Why would he mention that? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Which is precisely why Paul, who by the way, saw the risen Jesus, It's why he didn't simply say to the Corinthian church, just take my word for it. He says to them, he says, here are some specific people in some specific places. Go and ask them for yourselves. Go ask them for yourselves. You see, the evidence, it's it's difficult to refute. 
It's difficult to refute. See, this isn't a legend. This doesn't have the marks of a legendary story. It's too specific to be a lie. The most plausible explanation for the Bible mentioning specific people with respect to Jesus' resurrection is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose and he walked out of that tomb. But maybe that's not enough for you. Let's ask another question. If Jesus' resurrection is a lie, then why wouldn't the disciples use more credible sources to back their story? Here's what I mean. This is important. Who did the disciples say were the first people to discover the empty tomb? Go back to that passage that Kristen read earlier. We'll just read a portion of it. Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. See, it's important for us to know that the first witnesses of the empty tomb were women. Now, that might not strike us as significant here in 2019, but in Jesus' day, if you wanted to fabricate a lie, and especially if you wanted to fabricate a lie about the resurrection, you wouldn't have used women to corroborate your story. Why? Because in Jesus' day, women were at the bottom of the social ladder. Women were at the bottom of the social rung, so much so that some first century rabbis actually taught that it was better to burn the law, referring to the Old Testament, it was better to burn the law than to teach it to a woman. First century rabbis, better to burn the law than to teach it to women. See, in Jesus' day, women had no credibility. Their testimony wasn't trusted. And so because they had no credibility, because they weren't trusted, women weren't allowed to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. And so the claim that the women, that women were the first witnesses of the empty tomb, it would have immediately called into question the, the legitimacy of this story. It would have immediately called into question the legitimacy of this story to say women were the first people to find it. See, why would you do that if you were lying? Why would you pick a source that had no credibility? A source that couldn't even stand in court? A source that nobody would trust? Why would you do that if you were lying? Well, it seems that the most plausible explanation is that it wasn't a lie. See, as embarrassing as it was at the time, gospel writers faithfully recorded women as the first witnesses of the empty tomb because they actually were. One more. If Jesus' resurrection is a lie, what benefit did the disciples gain from spreading it? What benefit did the disciples gain from spreading it? People lie to gain something, right? I mean, that, that's why people lie. Well, if the disciples made up the resurrection story, they obviously knew they were lying. But why would they make up a lie if they knew that there was nothing to gain for them? You see, at a minimum, 
We know from history that Jesus' disciples faced a life of hardship, a life of suffering and pain for spreading the news of Jesus' resurrection, for saying that it really happened. And in some cases, it was much worse than that. They were tortured, they were killed. We know that Peter was crucified. James, the brother of John, he was beheaded. Paul, well, look what happened to Paul. 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. All because he kept teaching that Jesus really rose from the dead. And that message that Paul wouldn't stop teaching, that message that Paul wouldn't stop preaching, it killed him eventually. He was most likely beheaded under the Roman Emperor Nero in the 80s, 60s. Why though? Why suffer? Why go through a life of pain and hardship? Why not eventually cut a deal and say, okay, yeah, we made it up, now let me live? Who would die for a lie? Would you? Would you die for a lie? See, there are always going to be smart skeptics, scholars, smart people that have reasons to doubt the historicity of Jesus' resurrection, to not believe that Jesus actually physically, bodily rose from the dead in history. But hear me say this, the existence of smart skeptics and scholars doesn't mean that it's unreasonable to believe that he actually did. See, the earliest disciples of Jesus were willing to gain nothing and lose everything because they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had seen the risen Jesus with their own eyes. They had interacted with him. They had touched him. They had eaten with him. They had spoken to him. The evidence is hard to refute. It's hard to refute. You see, the resurrection, though, it's not just an arbitrary reality. If Jesus really rose from the dead, and I believe the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb is that he did just as he said he would, then it changes everything. See, when Jesus was arrested, his disciples fled. They deserted him. They, they were ashamed. The cross to them represented Jesus' failure. But something changed. Something changed because before long, this unimpressive group of skeptics that were ashamed about Jesus began spreading a message that changed the entire world. And it was a message that they were willing to die for, a message that they were willing to suffer for, a message they were willing to endure pain and hardship for. Paul, Paul was the persecutor of a church, remember? Of the church, not a church, of all the church. He was complicit in the killing of Christians for their faith. But something changed. 
Something changed because before long, Paul was claiming that Jesus really rose from the dead and claiming that Jesus really rose from the dead mattered far more to Paul than his own life. Why? Why? Because the resurrection changed their stories. It transformed their lives. Does it change yours? Does Jesus' resurrection change your story? Does it change how you live your life? Several years ago, some, some of the staff members at the crossing walked around campus in downtown asking the same question. Let's watch to see what people had to say. Witness to it, or if we like had proof, or like if what we is knew the, for a fact that he rose from the dead. Absolutely. Would that change how you live your life today? No, not really. No, no. probably not. I don't know. I don't even know how to start answering. <laughs> you should ask this guy about that stuff. Actually, probably not. I do believe in God, and I'm actually a reverend, just not a practicing one. Uh, personally, I live my life just normally. I don't think about religion or having religion dictate my life. Believing in Jesus and believing that he rose from the dead really shapes who I am and the decisions I make because I consider myself a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Like He died for our salvation. He rose and that's what Easter's all about. It definitely has an impact. Well, actually, no. I disagree with that because I try to be the best person I can be every day. I think it doesn't really matter to me. You know, you get the message from it whether it actually, you know, physically happened in history or not um, and people will choose to believe it whether, you know, whether or not it actually happened. So for me, it doesn't change anything. It kind of has changed how I live my life. Um, it gives more purpose and more direction to how I sort of decide to go about my business. It would probably cement my beliefs. I'm mostly belief in, in things that are greater than me, but I'm not too sure. So I'll let the rest of my life figure that out. So if he rose, it would just cement the thing. I would, I would hope that it affects the way I live my life every single day. I've studied a lot about it, actually. And uh, I believe I'm doing a pretty good job. I mean, I could be a good person on my own, so really wouldn't. But some people need that, which I understand, but personally. It's interesting, right? See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then what are we doing here? To be honest, why are we here? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, go home. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless, this is Paul saying this, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
See, if the resurrection is a lie, if it never happened, then Paul says to pity those of us that believe it did. Pity us. Mock us. Make fun of us because our faith is useless. Everything the Bible says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, everything the Bible says about Jesus is completely wrong. All of Christianity hangs, according to the Bible, on the resurrection. Did it happen or not? See, the disciples, the earliest followers of Jesus, Paul, they didn't live a life of hardship. They didn't die for a lie. No, testifying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ meant far more than their own life because the risen Jesus Christ had changed their story. And if we let him, he'll change our story too. See, it's, it's possible it's possible to believe the resurrection and yet fail to actually let it change us. We need the Spirit to work in our lives. We need the Spirit's work for that to happen. But when he does and when we believe, the resurrection radically transforms us. It radically transforms our lives. Just like the earliest disciples. <laughs> Instead of seeking power, we're motivated to serve. Instead of accruing possessions and wealth, we find ways to give. Instead of hoarding our time for ourselves, we sacrifice for others. Why? Not to be good people. No. See, our basis for the living faithfully, our basis for action now is informed by a vision that Jesus gives us for the future. A future when there's no death, a future when there's no pain, a future when there's no sorrow or suffering or hardship, a future when life is without sin, a future when we too will be resurrected, living with Jesus, living in perfect harmony with God, living in perfect harmony with our world, living in perfect harmony with each other. Won't that be great? Don't we long for that? As the music team comes up, I just want to close. I want to read Paul's words in Philippians 3. It's verse 20 and 21. He says this. He says, but our citizenship, those of us who believe our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Is that your hope? Is that the vision that you have for your future? A transformed body a renewed world living in perfect harmony with Jesus and each other. You see, Jesus walked out of that tomb and one day you and I will too. Is that what you're living for? Is that the story that you're living for? Are you living for some other story? See, the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb is that Jesus really rose from the dead. He changed the world. 
because he didn't stay dead. And if you let him, his resurrection will change your life too.